For me, like I said, I stay on the West Coast and I know for a fact that, yes, it's going to be more expensive. But then that I just kind of shift my investment criteria around that and then keep my investors, my partners informed of, hey, this is the most you will probably see performance wise because we are on the West Coast. And I have to say the performance, it's it's probably more stable in, in the long term. Right. You won't see the coasts changing too much. And that's OK, too, because everyone has a different preference where they want to invest. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Pam Scamardo. Today, we're going to talk about becoming job optional through multifamily real estate. What does job optional mean? I bet you have a guess. Think about how that hits you right now, how that hits your ear, what you're thinking about, because you're going to learn what that meant to Pam and how she became job optional through multifamily real estate investing. You're going to learn a lot of stuff today. She's very successful and became, again, job optional very quickly. And we're, we're talking about how she did that. And you're going to learn some great things today. I know I did. And you will too. If you do enjoy the show, we ask that you take a quick second, go to your favorite podcast catcher, podcatcher, hit the subscribe button so that you can catch future episodes of the Passive Wealth Strategy Show as they're published and you can hear all these great things about real estate investing and passive income and developing financial independence right when we push them live. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love learning from great people like Pam. I love sharing these lessons with you and the rest of the audience and so that you can learn alongside me. You know, I'm learning here things. Well, I'm learning things here too. And uh, we're just having a great time. You're going to learn today about becoming job optional through multifamily real estate from Pam Scamardo. Without any further ado, here we go with Pam. Pam, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. It's great to talk with you. You know, you've been here a little while. We've been talking for a few minutes before we hit record, and that's great. I always love doing that. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us a bit about where you came from, what you do now, and uh, you know, get us up to speed? Sure thing. Well, for those who don't know me, my name is Pam Scamardo, and I actually started off as an aerospace engineer for a good decade of my life, um, as much as I enjoyed the technical bits and working on commercial aircraft and military aircraft, um, my entrepreneurial side was just kind of calling out to me. And I wanted to find a different way to earn money without trading my time and efforts for it. So at that time, I didn't know that was called passive income investing. So I started dabbling in multifamily investments locally in San Diego. I bought my first apartment, six units, and you could say the rest is history. Fast forward to today, living off of passive income, I'm job optional, and I'm here to help everyone get there in their own way. Um, uh, my passion project was to launch www.letsgocreatewealth.com. So we did that as a way for those who want to start investing in multifamily investing and kind of use it as a jumping point, a launching point, because when I first started, it was so overwhelming. So I kind of wanted to bring all the resources together in one spot. And that's where I am now. Nice. I love it. So you kind of you use this term that I'm honestly not sure if I've I've heard before job optional 
Can you uh, tell us about that? Like what that means to you in, in your context? I mean, I think everybody probably has a, a an idea in their head of what you mean by that, but you know, let's get it straight. Sure. Yeah. Let's start off with the definition. I love that. Um, so to me, being a job optional is that uh, you have your passive income stream that meets or exceeds your monthly expenses. Now, what a lot of people do is, you know, they work their nine to five job and they're earning that money. So that's called earned income. So to me, when your passive income matches that salary and the extra expenses you have going on monthly, you become job optional, meaning you no longer need to find a job that is needed to meet your expenses. You can have fun jobs that you want. So for example, there are people who love to like to travel and blog about that. Well, if they have their passive income streams all set up, they can now get to do that and enjoy it. Whereas, you know, worrying about, oh gosh, can I meet my mortgage payment per month? So that to me is what job optional is, is for you to be set free of that and let the money work hard for you while you're still getting to do the things you love in life or want it to explore. Nice. Nice. I like it. We're, we're all about that here. I think uh, many of our listeners out there will relate to that goal and, and probably have that goal if they haven't reached it yet. Can you tell us about your journey? You became job optional pretty quickly, you know, in the grand scheme of things, once you decided to to do that. Tell us about your journey and, and how you got there. Sure. Well, um, as I shared, I was an engineer and I basically sat in a cubicle every day with probably three screens around me analyzing things. I remember one day sitting to myself or, you know, just sitting there and just thinking to myself that, okay, I can, I can work this cush job, this, you know, it's a nice cushion. It gives me good pay as an engineer, but they were increasing my hours. So it became, instead of eight hour days, it started to grow the 10 to 12. And then I was managing teams globally. So in Singapore, in India. And so with the time zone changes and I had to interface with, for example, Airbus in France, I pretty much did not have a life. It was just, I would wake up really early for my job or go to sleep really late because I had to stay on to interface with the different vocals. Um, And so back then when borders used to be in business, (laughs) I spent my weekends um, perusing books there. I would always be around the kind of like the investing section or just looking for other ways to creatively Uh, bring in more income to kind of help supplement that. Cause I was like, I don't want to sit and do this forever. I want to have time for my family or whatever I want to do, maybe travel the world. And so I stumbled upon this book called commercial real estate investing for dummies. Ah, classic. It's in that. Yeah. It's in that, you know, bright yellow colored look and it looks odd. It's smart marketing because it stands out like a sore thumb. Cause to me stocks, I, I don't care much for that. And so I was looking at all the different books. I'm like stocks, 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 no, thank you. And then I saw that. I'm like, what is this? Grabbed it, read it from front to end, loved it so much. And one of the authors, Peter Harris, he was actually an engineer as well, scientist, a nerd like me. And I was like, he spoke to me, his language uh, just really related to me. And so I decided to chase him down and I asked him to be my mentor. So that's how my journey began. I asked him to be my mentor and he helped me and uh, I got my first deal my sixth unit from that. And so I was able to quit my full-time engineering job in two years because of that book. And then the second book that I read was by uh, Timothy Ferris, The 4-Hour Workweek. Have you heard of that one? Oh, yeah. 
because, because I was like, Hey, I need to decrease the amount of time I'm spending, you know, working hard for my engineering salary. What else can I do? So applying those principles along with commercial real estate investing, particularly in multifamily and apartments really helped just launch me off. Um, Yeah. And from there, I challenged myself every year that even if I'm moving slowly than others, it's okay. But I always made it a goal of like, if I start at six units next year, I need to buy one extra unit above it. So it would be a seven unit apartment, which doesn't exist or an eight, 10 or beyond. And that's kind of how I kept growing um, uh, my portfolio and was able to quit my job. Awesome. That's great. And shout out Peter Harris, a great YouTube channel. If, if uh, any of y'all are my Facebook friends or my Facebook profile pictures with Peter Harris, big fan of his, uh, his content, his work, if you want to learn about uh, commercial real estate investing, that's fantastic. And I would love to hear more about how you incorporated the ideas from the four hour work week into your multifamily investments, because so many people, including myself, right, have read that book. And in my opinion, if, if anybody out there is like me, if kind of in a way struggled to incorporate some of his ideas to a real estate investing context, since it's, you know, it's written from his background of being a a tech entrepreneur and running his supplement company and all of that. How how did you incorporate those ideas into your real estate investments? Well, that is a great question. Yeah. So it initially was hard. So when I was working full-time as an engineer with my, what, 10 to 14 hour work days, and then trying to get multifamily, like my syndication business off the ground. I was like, how do I do this? So I don't go mentally crazy because there's only so many hours, right? In a day and you need your rest. You need to have your own life as well. So that was my motivation. Um, So one of the things he talks about in his book is about virtual assistants. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started utilizing that idea to help me out. So for example, if I was looking for properties, I kind of set it up with a virtual assistant to help me out, to minimize my time spent. So I would kind of give like a template and we engineers were good with those systems, right? So we kind of provide like, here's a template, what, what to do, help me find X, Y, Z. And that helped minimize my time, for example, searching for properties. Another way was if I had to do uh, due diligence or underwriting, if it's the same parameters each and every time, then you can kind of create that as well. The key thing is, though, is you want to be able to trust whoever it is you bring to your team, right? So to me, that was the harder part of just like, okay, there are a couple testers, you know, we had some rotten apples here and there as well, but you kind of live, you learn. That's part of the journey until you find that right uh, the right fit. And then you really take good care of them because <laughs> they will, they will help you minimize the time that you spend working. And so I think that's kind of uh, one of the biggest things I took from the book was just utilizing virtual assistants. And now more than ever, since we're online, it's even easier now, right? Um, back then it was through Craigslist. Uh, but now I think we have Fiverr, uh, for those uh, who haven't heard of that, I think it's it's definitely spelled a little unique, but you can Google Fiverr and um, yeah, the nutshell. That's how I did it. Interesting. Okay. Are there any other ways that you've have you incorporated them into your you know larger multifamily business? Like, have you scaled them up as you kind of you know got bigger? I mean, you know, how did that? I guess that idea kind of evolved with, with you and your investments and your business and all of that. 
Right. Okay. So what I did from there is as I grew the business, for me, the first thing was setting up my property management team to manage the properties that I own, because most of mine are not close to me. They're out of state or in different markets. And so again, creating that kind of template and really being able to work with different property managers at different time zones where I don't need to be up and awake. Um, so that was key for me. That's how I was able to scale up from that. And then on top of that, being able to just uh, work on having, for me, was having the virtual assistants help me find connections where I needed most. And this was before LinkedIn kind of blew up so to speak. And this was before meetup.com. So I think it was a little harder in my opinion of trying to get online to find like local real estate investing clubs to network with or finding other people such as yourself to network with. Uh, so I utilize them in that area a lot where while I was sleeping, they were working on finding connections for me so that I can connect with them the next day and then kind of grow the business from there, whether it's a partner, a JV in a syndication, you name it, because every property has its own story, um, has its own complexity. So it's a little bit of everything. Interesting. Okay. So I've personally, and I, I've, I have a couple of VAs that, that work for me and uh, I've used the, done a couple of strategies of, you know, pulling contacts and trying to meet people and, and everything and, you know, do that outreach on my own, of course. Um, actually, one of my assistants, you know, booked you for this, this interview. So, you know, right. they're, they're employed here. But as far as building a, a list for you to work on building relationships with, where are they pulling from? Is that bigger pockets, Facebook groups, or you know other places? Um, Pretty much all of the above, okay. which I'm I'm sure your VAs are probably doing as well. Just a lot of it is is on kind of I call them the big three. Uh, there's you know LinkedIn, there's Facebook, and actually Instagram. Uh, mm. So in all these different areas, um, meetup. So, okay. Big four, <laughs> bigger pockets. That's always a great place, but that's more like a sounding board. Like if I, if I see a name or if they see a name, we bounce it off of different areas. So nowadays uh, it's all about that virtual business card, right. To see how legit someone is, um, before you bring them on as a guest. Yeah. I mean, everybody's got a, a digital footprint, right. And we've, we've talked about that, uh, in, in other contexts in the show before, you know, the, what you're putting out there, really can impact your your multifamily you know, real estate business and what potential investors think of you and and all that you know it's very important to uh, to be cognizant of now as you scaled you mentioned you bought your first six unit in San Diego were you able to continue scaling in California you know this is pre-covid pandemic right but um, the landlord tenant situation from a legal standpoint was still not in my opinion, ideal in California. Were you able to make it work there? Or did you go elsewhere? Yeah. So my next property was actually out of state. The first property was my only property in California closest to me, but all the other properties that I've owned or even disposed of now, they're all um, out of state. And I tend to invest all along the West Coast because I, uh, as I shared with you, Taylor, I have two young kiddos. So I don't like to fly far from them when I have to do walkthroughs and, you know, do all the all the things that go along with investing in a property. Um, so I stick along the West Coast. But I have colleagues and friends who are just all over, like, you know, the Midwest, East Coast as well. So, uh, yeah, 
to answer your question in a nutshell, I am not really in California. <laughs> <laughs> but that because even... of because of what you hinted at, it's just it's it's a little tough, mm-hmm. tough market to be in. Yeah, I mean, even those the, I mean, I'm not. I can't say I'm familiar too familiar with the real estate investment market on the West Coast, but even all the way up and down the coast, I would think it seems like the price points are high everywhere, all the way up to you know Seattle from. San Diego, you know, um, I guess there are pockets maybe as you get more inland or are you still in those pricey markets? Like, where are you looking out there? So it's a mix. Um, so some of the markets I'm actually in, like we call it like the city centers. And this was before the pandemic. Um, and I'm in the secondary tertiary markets as well, which is kind of away from the city center, maybe an hour to two hours drive. Uh, but it's interesting. We're seeing a behavioral shift, right? Everyone's moving out from the city center. And so uh, most, I want to say like almost hundred percent of all my secondary suburban tertiary markets, we have a wait list of renters because people are just moving out. There's a no longer a need to be in the city. Um, so that's an interesting kind of like a uh, lopsided shift, probably for the good. I think we need to have some sort of like equilibrium going on, like maybe shift the other way before we shift back and kind of equalize hopefully. Um, but yeah. So, so to answer your question, like on the West coast or even the coast, even the East coast, I think the coasts are the most expensive. So as you're starting to invest, the big picture to understand is, okay, if you're going to stay on the coast, just know that it's a higher price point. As you go inward, like towards the middle, it'll be cheaper. You'll probably get more bang for your buck. And if you know your market there, you're good. Um, The key is your knowledge, right? To know how the market performs, to be in with, uh, to be in with the brokers there to get like off, off market listings um, and, and just be open to that. Hmm. For me, like I said, I stay on the West Coast and I know for a fact that, yes, it's going to be more expensive. But then that I just kind of shift my investment criteria around that and then keep my investors, my partners informed of, hey, this is the most you will probably see performance wise because we are on the West Coast. And I have to say the performance, it's, it's probably more stable. In, in the long term, right? You won't see the coasts changing too much. And that's okay too, because everyone has a different preference where they want to invest. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, you know, changing preferences of, of tenants and not just tenants, like people moving from city centers outward uh, due to the, the pandemic. Have you seen any other demand shifts or just shifts in the market? I mean, there <laughs> have been big shifts in the market, but from a multifamily investing standpoint due to COVID, what have you seen beyond uh, those impacts in terms of uh, preferences? In terms of the shift to, I guess, to bigger spaces outside of the city center, I've seen, honestly, now is probably a good time for all beginners if you really want to jump in. I want to say the barriers are a little lower now and there's more in the playing field, so to speak. Everyone invests a little differently, right? We all have our investment criteria that's a little different from one another. Um, So I'm seeing that a lot. A lot of uh, people just wanting to jump in and learn as they go. So now is pretty much a great time. And I say, go for it. You know, you can go to my website anytime, learn 24 seven, just use it as a launching point and then go from there. Uh, We provide services from like analyzing a city for you to tell you like, Hey, this is the population size. Here's where we think thumbs up, thumbs down. If it's worth investing in based on your criteria, you can do that. Or we have a list of podcasts and books that you can learn from because everyone learns differently, right? Or even YouTube channels. 
uh, like Peter's. I also have my own. Uh, we're all out here. And then you too, Taylor, we're going to put you on our list. So yeah, Love more it. the merrier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, um, there's a lot of, I think uncertainty in the, at least from the outside, you know, that a lot of people are concerned about what's happening with, uh, with real estate, but from the inside, I mean, things have been good so far, at least, uh, at least for me, right. I don't know about, I don't know about you, but it's gone much better than I had expected. Yeah. I never saw a, a dip in occupancy levels. I mean, yeah, we have some eviction moratoriums in place in the different states or different counties, but knock on wood here, we've remained at 98% um, occupancy. So I haven't seen a change, but this all really depends on how you analyze a property before jumping in, right? Um, For example, I had a colleague who invested highly in Arkansas, but he just wanted a human body in a property. He did not do the due diligence or vet the tenants. And so now he's struggling with that where half of his property is essentially vacant or not paying. So that's oh, tough. So, you know, for, for those kind of news that we hear where, where it's like tough for, for investors, he's one of them that unfortunately just, you know, didn't uh, change the, didn't change the process in time before we're all locked down. But for you and I, we're, we're not seeing a real big dip. And that's kind of good. And I feel like multifamily is still one of the strongest like assets that you can invest in in your lifetime. It's never too late to jump in because it's very slow moving. So out of all the commercial real estate assets out there, like offices, uh, retail, um, health and all that stuff, it's not sexy. That's what I want to say. Like multifamily <laughs> is not sexy, but it's OK because it's stable. It is one of because people will always want a roof over their heads at the end of the day. And that's why I invest in that. And then for me, I came from an immigrant um, family and, and I really just want to give back to that. I know what it was like living as a tenant and I want to provide quality housing to my tenants. I want happy communities and that's my form of giving back. So it's just fun to be able to kind of like flip it around now to be able to just uh, as a landlord provide these amenities that I wish I had when I was growing up. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. We want to be, good housing providers. We want to provide, you know, safe, safe, clean, you know, positive environment for our tenants. So that's awesome. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Pam, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, good. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, I think I hinted at this already, or I shared about this already. I invested in a mentor. His name is Peter Harris, and I like to say I'm his best student ever, (laughs) but I'm sure he has a lot of students. Um, So to me, aside from education, is investing in someone kind of like a coach who can show you how to get there. We have have coaches in our lives in all aspects, right? For example, we have a professor for our our academia. We have um, soccer coaches. We have therapists for our mental well-being. We have doctors for our physical well-being. And uh, Taylor, you're into martial arts. We have our senseis. We have we have all of that. So why not have a mentor if you would like one? It's you know it has to fit with your investment criteria too. So to me, that's probably the best investment I've ever made because it helped accelerate my multifamily investing career to be able to allow me to to quit my full time engineering job in two years. That's awesome. Nice. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? All right. So I see a lot of this happening. 
This is my opinion only because I experienced it. So after my first six unit deal, I got super excited and I was like, oh, let's just buy any property that I see. And lo and behold, I found a four unit property in Arizona. So I went backwards instead of increasing the amount of units. I got a little too greedy with my eyes and I thought, wow, four units for this amount. Let's do it. That was the worst decision I ever made because friends, if you're thinking of house hacking or like buying a duplex or a triplex or, you know, a four unit to move into multifamily, I suggest you just make the jump because it's the same amount of hard work. So if you can spread that amount of hard work over many units, you're better off for it. You get more income. There's a buffer level. So my biggest uh, problem with that four unit was that each time I had one or two units down, I'd lose 25 to 50% of my rental income, which was not good news to share to my partners. So yeah. So if you're thinking about it, just jump into it. Do multifamily investing, which is in the commercial real estate side. So you jump from residential to commercial real estate, you go five units and above. Lending terms are different. There, it's it's just a whole different ballpark. Wow, I yeah, I can't imagine doing a quad with partners and the the occupancy risk that you have. You know, just like you said, one unit being down is twenty five percent of your revenue. That's enormous. Yes, it is, and it's a big hit. And if you're a syndicator yourself, you should pay yourself what last, right? Because you need to pay your investors first because you are a steward of their money. You need to take great care of it and you know, it's, it's all about operating with integrity. And so it hurts you more when you're the syndicator, you're not only delivering bad news, you're like scrambling and stressed out to try to like find that third or fourth tenant. And then you're not getting paid enough. So that was my biggest lesson learned is don't go too cheap. (laughs) Don't get too greedy. That's really what it is. Don't get too greedy with those eyes. Be patient. That's important. Yeah. My favorite Mm -hmm. question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned? in business and investing? Okay. Well, I have two answers to that. Um, so in talking about the Arizona property, the four unit that I oof, don't, don't ever do guys, the biggest lesson I learned there was, you know, this is one of the biggest things is that when you're operating with integrity, you're gonna have to learn how to deliver bad news and be confident in that and not beat yourself up over it. So in a nutshell, I'm trying to say have compassion with what you do and with the people you work with, which leads me to my next point is that the most important thing is that this is a relationship business. So even though you're buying properties, which don't have, you know, hearts or, you know, a skeleton in them, so to speak, you know, they're not breathing, so to speak, but you're dealing with the people, you're dealing with the tenants, you're dealing with your property managers, you're dealing with your vendors who come and fix up the property for you. You're also dealing with the bank and your investors. So it's a people business. And every step of the way, you need to treat them with utmost integrity and and just, you know, at the end of the day, people want to work with people they like, right, Taylor? That's really what it comes down to. And if you like someone enough and you trust them enough, that's how a successful relationship works in all levels. So that was my biggest, most important lesson learned is that no matter where you are, um, it's a relationship business. And it was an eye opener for me coming from an engineering background where like we're used to not talking to people a lot, right? We're talking more to our computers or like we're behind walls or um, all that fun stuff working on parts. So I, it was a nice shift to learn that your network truly is uh, an indicator of how successful you'll be. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the engineering world, it seems like, it seems like the relationships don't matter, but they do. You just, you don't have as, it's not as visible, but in real estate, for sure. It's so obvious, I suppose, or apparent about how important these relationships are. Well, Pam, thank you for joining us today, bringing us all this all these great lessons and you know congratulations on your success and becoming job optional so quickly if folks want to get in touch with you if they want to reach out if they want to find your content where can they do that in multiple routes um i have a youtube channel it's called create wealth now so you can go there as well or you can go to um, the website at letsgocreatewealth.com. You can send us an email through there, peruse through the sites. If you find something that you know we don't have there that you wanna learn more about, let me know. I'll go out there and find that expert for you. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn under Pam Scamardo. Well, thank you for joining us once again today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We also now live stream our interviews on YouTube. If you'd like to join the conversation live, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, smash the like button and all that great stuff they say. And we look forward to seeing you there live. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.